0: Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast.
1: And a very warm welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast.
0: A left response to the major developments in capitalism. What they
1: trade
2: in is not wheat.
0: Streaming and 3CR digital, podcast or audio on demand. And of course, the website, SolidarityBreakfast.org.au.
4: Solidarity forever!
2: Good morning.
1: Morning Annie and uh, morning all the listeners out there.
2: Yeah, that's right. Good morning Marcus. Uh, There's uh, lots of things happening today. Uh, We're going to, on this program, as well as in the real world, uh, you have got the... uh, uh, gem of the day, you've actually organised to talk to one of the fireys from uh, New South Wales in the midst of this uh, extraordinary uh, level of um, firestorm up there at the moment, so that's going to be interesting, that will be around 8 o'clock.
1: At 8 o'clock here we'll be joined by Darren Sullivan from the uh, Firefighters Union in New South Wales at a time of course when New South Wales uh in a state of emergency, bushfires of course.
2: Yeah, and today uh, at uh, uh, I'll tell you at um, what is it uh, the uh, the you know across the road the memorial for the eight-hour day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be a a gathering uh, to uh, um, highlight uh, repression of unions uh, around the world. Uh, That's at twelve o'clock. So that happens annually. Uh, uh the um it's interesting because of course in australia uh, it, we may may at the moment not be uh being killed for being a unionist uh, as is happening in some parts of the world uh, but uh you might have caught up with uh, what's happened to the CFMEU uh in the construction uh division in victoria this week uh two of its uh um, organisers were found uh, guilty of uh, trying to get uh, women's toilets at one of the uh, sites that uh, had not provided uh, facilities for uh, most of the men, let alone a toilet for the women that w- worked there as well. Which apparently, which apparently is actually part of the legislation. It's uh, that's what they're supposed to be doing. Uh, but uh, these two blokes were uh, basically fined uh, six thousand dollars personally. The uh, for the stop uh, the uh, stop to discuss the issue and uh, the um, and the union itself is uh, being char- uh, It's got a fine of about uh, uh, fifty dollars.
1: Thirty-eight thousand dollars. Thirty-eight
2: thousand dollars. You got it right. Yeah. And this is something that uh, Worksafe agreed with the bosses on. Apparently,
1: oh, completely <laughs> an ideological attack from this liberal national government from the ABCC, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah, all for yeah, fighting for suitable amenities on the site and a toilet for the women workers on the job. I mean, uh, what an absolute disgrace! And uh, I mean, we've seen it yesterday again with the National Union of Workers being fined seventy odd thousand dollars and having to pay Woolworths compensation of about a hundred thousand dollars for uh, a stoppage that happened four years ago when the workers were protecting their rights. And uh it seems union activity in this country now is, as you said, criminalised. Yeah, exactly. They make it unlawful. Um, and we're seeing this week with the insurance Integrity Bill go before the Senate.
2: Yeah, it's outrageous. Actually, it's just an outrage. They've got to, legis- using legislation in uh, to oppress the people.
1: I mean, what should be a yeah, the basic right to yeah, take action to win your rights or to protect your rights and... Uh, this Liberal National Government criminalises it and, uh, yeah, fines union officials for doing the job that they're paid to do by the members, I mean.
2: Anyway, uh, if you want to help the uh, the two blokes who are being uh, uh, ch- uh, uh, fined $6,000, you can go onto Megaphone and uh, there will be a, uh, a, um, a call-out uh, for people to chip in to uh, cover that uh, personal fine. As the battle continues, uh, we've got plenty of other things to talk about, but uh, before we do, we'll uh, give you a few important messages. Six
5: years I've been in Beyond the bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria.
6: Well, it's good to be here because uh, I radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. It brings us all together.
7: Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just
8: want to say thank you doors. to What's all of you for What's giving the us the opportunity to
7: morning. speak the on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things. And you
5: can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars.
7: But also, while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming. Um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know, it's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family.
5: If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 8377.
2: And on the line we've got Kath Larkin. G'day Hi. Kath, how are you? Good, how are you guys? Yeah, we're good. (laughs) We're just waking up. (laughs) It's because it's Saturday (laughs) morning. And aren't we stupid to be here on Saturday morning? But anyway, (laughs) but we're doing important stuff. And the reason why we're having a talk with you is because of ex-unionists, as in workers for climate justice, uh, having a forum at uh, the uh, Victorian uh, Labor at Trades Hall Council on Monday night. Can you tell us some information about uh, what this is all about?
8: That's right. So it's been put on by XR Unionist, which is an affinity group of Extinction Rebellion. Um, and so the forum uh, is a just transition, workers' rights and the environment movement. I guess the whole aim of XR Unionist is to try to, I guess, bridge um, a bit of that gap between the environment movement and the workers' movement, because really, if we're going to see change, the people with the power, the economic power to make a real difference, are uh, uh, working class people. We know that through history, looking at the Green Bans uh, that was organised by the Builders Labourers Federation, or even the you know the protests against uranium mining, the strike action of rail workers, that was really crucial to that. So I guess we're trying to bring back, you know, find a way to bring back some of those traditions. And one of the important parts of that is talking about a just transition, how it is that we can zero our carbon emissions and bring workers with us and ensure that you know, workers aren't the ones who suffer from this crisis that's been caused by those at the top. Um, yeah. Do you want to know a little bit about who's on the panel? or Yeah, yeah,
2: I'd love to, we'd love to know more yeah. about it because, of course, this is absolutely cutting-edge stuff. But I mean, if workers can actually... Work out plans for uh, having good jobs uh, yeah. and uh, stable existence in the future. Uh, it's not like as uh, in uh, stick together. It's not like as uh, the guy who was working in the uh, on the oil rigs was saying. Uh, it's not like we're in love with uh, oil and coal.
8: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. And I mean, in reality, like a lot of these jobs are actually really dangerous. Yeah. I mean, look at the the reemergence of, of black lung. Like these bosses and people who you know, cli- or politicians who claim to be for workers actually couldn't give a crap about workers' rights. Um, so we, we we need a bit. We need uh, our real alter- alternative. Um, so on the panel uh, will be Colin Long, who's the Just Transitions Officer for Trades Hall. So very much has that union perspective and trying to. Um, find ways to to have campaigns to bring about climate justice. Um, Also have Dave Kieran, who's a long-term, lifelong CFMEU member um, and has for a long time um, put his efforts into trying to find ways to connect the union and environment movements. I think probably the person on the panel I'm most excited to hear from is Wendy Farmer. Uh, So Wendy is from... Yeah, so she's from uh, Voices of the Valley, um, which is a campaign group that that, that she helped found out in the La Trobe Valley. Um, And really their their community campaign started in response to the awful um, open-cut, the the fires of the open-cut mine, which were just horrific and devastating for workers and the community uh, in that area and were totally unnecessary. Those fires happened because of corporate negligence. And so that campaign group started really to, to fight back against that, um, and to fight for justice for the for the community in relation to that fire. But they're also to, they're also I guess trying to campaign um, for a just transition in that area because they have had um, a power plant shut down, um, and really even before that, like the valley had been devastated. By the privatization of the electricity, you know, that before it was privatized, there had been real like job opportunities and education opportunities uh, for people in that area, and now it's an area that suffers really badly from high unemployment um, and all of the kind of you know social and economic injustice that that comes with that. So it'll be really good to hear from her about like practically on the ground what they're doing, how they're trying to fight for this.
2: Yeah, it's quite interesting you should bring that up because it's exactly a snapshot of the mauling of policy. That whole area has been yeah. mauled by policy and uh, yeah. the, everyone's gone along to, you know, with great hope. So the uh, for 30 years that area was uh, made the central point of uh, electricity production because of the brown coal there uh, Previous to that is interesting because uh, pe- uh, smaller commu- communities generated their own electricity. It was a major infrastructure yeah. plan to bring it yeah. all into the uh, that valley. And you're completely right. It, they did have great jobs and they all, mm. you know, families went into that industry. But the fact that there was no proper transition Mm. because, you know, it it was going to come to an end. And in fact, if you did listen to Stick Together, Steve Dobbs was saying, which I found that really interesting, Steve Dobbs said, he's from the uh, Gippsland uh, Trades Hall Council, he was saying that actually those uh, electricity generators down there are on their last legs.
8: Yeah, that's right. Like, it, it just is a reality that there, in a lot of places there is going to be transitions.
2: We need them to be fair. That's right. There needs to be – that people need to have food on their tables.
8: That's right. Exactly.
2: That's right. All right, so that's very interesting. Uh, so I'd like to know a little bit more about the, uh, the unionist group. Like you said, it's an affinity group with uh, the uh, Extinction Rebellion uh are you finding that it's difficult to get the uh message across to uh the more traditional union uh body um
8: yeah i mean i guess it it it's so, it's sort of new and i think um you know there's a lot i mean look there i think you'd have to say that neither the union movement nor the environment movement is perfect
5: Oh, well that's um, true
8: there's, yeah there, 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 there's sort of arguments that that you want to win in both camps, so you know, it's. I think historically there has been an elitist, anti-working class element of the environment movement. Um, I think in recent times, um, you know, if you look at people like Greta Thunberg, it's becoming clearer and clearer that the people who are destroying the planet are not ordinary workers. It's not consumers. It happens at the point of production. It happens because of big businesses and their greed and, and making money. And I think the more that's getting out there, I I think that's helpful for us. Um, but there are people who are fearful. Um, and I think, I think one of the reasons that for unionists, there can be a resistance to it. Um, like I'm in the RTBU, which is the rail union, and we represent... Um, you know train drivers who or, or loco drivers who drive you know freight trains and, and deliver coal. Um, so they you know understandably have a bit of a panic about it because they see this um, as an attack on their jobs. And I think when the union movement, right now, the union movement is a bit on the back foot you know our numbers are declining. we've got historic low rates of, of strikes. Um, there's, there's, you know, We know that wages are stagnating or in some places going backwards. The rise, I think, of, of injuries and, and deaths or near misses in certain industries all give you an indication that the unions are losing some power. And I think in that context, it makes sense that there are uh, workers who think, well, oh, hang on, my union can barely hold on to the conditions I've got today. How could we possibly imagine that workers have the ability to totally transform the economy uh, to in a way that will both save the planet and provide me with, a, with good living standards. And so I think definitely a big part of what we want to do is try to go to unions to convince them to have these discussions, to really talk through what a just transition would actually look like, what steps do we need to take, Um, But part of it is just we need to rebuild our unions. We need to rebuild the strength at the workplace. We need more rank-and-file activists. And we absolutely need to win back our right to strike. When unions have historically played an important role in the environment movement, it's been precisely because they've been able to use their economic power um, at the point of production. So, yeah, there there are challenges. There are challenges um, on both sides, but I guess we're having a crack um, at at doing what we can to to bring some of these things out.
1: And it's probably a history we don't know enough about or it's not celebrated, as you mentioned before, the green bans when environmentalists and unionists uh, did combine to put the environment over jobs. That's
8: right. Well, I mean, and it was about doing it together. So, like, the Builders' Labourers Federation, they responded um, to community activists who were trying to save um, local parks. Um, and and it was a debate. It was a debate and a discussion w- w- within uh, the union. You know, not not all workers immediately thought, yeah, this is a good thing. But it's important to know that at the time of these discussions and debates, workers had a lot more confidence. They were regularly going out on strike and taking industrial action for their own rights, and that led on to having, I think, a certain amount of confidence um, to to take on social issues. So when they refused to. Uh, bulldoze and destroy Cali's uh, Bush Lend Lease, the company that wanted to develop, quote unquote, this area. Um, you know, threatened to to bring in scab labour to do the job, and because of the strength of the union, they were able to say, well, we're going to put a ban on all of your buildings. There'll be no Lend Lease. Our construction sites continuing, and you know, buildings that are half done will stay there forever as monuments um, to, to lend leases, environmental destruction. And because of that kind of militancy and direct action, uh, they were able to save not only Kelly's bush, but a number of important green sites. But then they rolled similar tactics out uh, to fight for public housing, to fight for um, gay students and teachers that were being, um, you know, threatened with the sack or expulsion. So, yeah, we'd love to see uh, some of that history better understood um, and coming back.
2: Well, it's interesting, isn't it, uh, before you, you have to go, I know, uh, because, uh, the, you know, it's, it, it's the same thing as the uh, stopping of the, uh, you know, the pig iron um, debacle. Yes. Yeah, oh, it, what it is is about uh, uh, changing people's perception and the green bands are a perfect example. Uh, people realising that, yeah, we can actually have grass, We can have a bit of room. Our kids can have a bit of room to play in. Yeah. In the past, that would have been an outrageous demand that you could have a pleasant uh, environment to live in.
8: Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. They changed the perception of what it was that the citizen of a place, a working-class person, could expect from their everyday life experience. Yeah.
8: I think that points to... Why the fight for the environment is not an elitist issue it's inherently embedded uh, or, or connected to working class living standards. working class people deserve not to die of hideous Keynesian d- diseases like black lung working class yeah. communities deserve clean air they shouldn't be subject to you know toxic you know smoke and factory fires that, that Marcus would know a lot about you know, they deserve. Um, green spaces, places... You know, or cancer clusters. Grow up. Exactly. You know, like, the destruction of the environment will obviously not only lead eventually to our dis- extinction, um, you know, it, it means the theft and destruction of Indigenous land. It means the creation of, of climate refugees. Already, you know, hundreds, thousands of people are being displaced. Um, but it's also, like, the destruction of the environment goes hand in hand with the degradation of working class communities and living standards.
2: So uh, give people the uh, time and date again before we yeah, let go.
8: So, so it's uh, this Monday uh, the 18th of November at Chase Hall, meeting room 1 6.30pm. We'd love to see you there. Bring your workmates, bring your friends.
0: Thanks Kath. Thanks Kath. Thank you. On Thursday 28th of November at 12pm, environment groups and communities from across Victoria will peacefully rally together at Parliament to call for urgent action for our natural world. After five years of the Andrews government, nature deserves more, especially in the face of climate change. Victorians need new and better funded national parks, stronger nature laws and better protection for our threatened forests, rivers, beaches, oceans and native plants and animals. We need real action for our natural places and wildlife now. Join in the Nature for Life rally. Bring a sign to highlight the natural places you love that deserve better protection. See you on Parliament Steps, Thursday, 28th of November at 12pm. Look for Nature for Life rally on Facebook and visit Victoria National Parks Association website vnpa.org.au forward slash rally. BNPA is a 3CR supporter.
5: Now is where
6: we draw the line. Right here, right now, right here. Out. Right
5: now, right here. Out. Right here. No more coal, no more oil, keep the carbon in the soil,
8: no more coal.
6: Welcome to episode 4 of Schools Out. This past week, Australia's government is preparing new laws to arrest protesters. These laws target environmental protesters. Australia's Deputy PM and Leader of the National Party, Michael McCormack, has called people who speak about and protest about climate change, quote, raving inner city lunatics.
4: Well, they don't need the ravings of some pure, enlightened, and woke capital city greenies at this time. Time is running, I'm passing, I'm passing, I'm running.
7: Press stop. This tape is terminated.
6: Here is an excerpt from an article in The Guardian, titled, The Government is in Authoritarian Mode, and Now is Not the Time for Complacency, by Peter Lewis. Lewis writes, As fires burn across eastern Australia, the government is in textbook authoritarian mode, deliberately inflaming division and manufacturing outrage towards its critics, in an attempt to divert from its own manifest failure to protect the regions. The article later continues, The Prime Minister has been ramping up the anger since his election win, hitting a menacing low point recently with a petulant performance lambasting the character of climate protesters and foreshadowing new laws to outlaw consumer and environmental boycotts. It appears the PM wants to prevent citizens asking the banks and super funds to not invest their money in coal. And it is clear the government doesn't want people to protest, yet the government is missing the point that it isn't just city people who are calling for climate emergency. 1,000 climate change protesters recently gathered in the Deputy PM's electorate. We can continue to strike and protest in large numbers. That's where school strikers are so important. The bigger our school rallies get, they can't arrest tens and thousands of secondary students who protest against climate change. Huge numbers defy the anti-protest laws that the Morrison government is aiming for. Some of our school strikers might not feel ready to go to an Extinction Rebellion event. That's okay. But we can still support the rights of all people to protest by organising more regular school strikes.
5: I don't think, as an individual, I've immersed myself enough yet in different um, climate action things, and that's obviously something I need to do more in the future. But yeah, yeah, it is yeah. very inspiring. I mean, there's a lot of emotion from people around you. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really glad I came because there's like lots of my friends didn't come and I'm glad I did because it is good to just be around this.
0: Yeah. People know know the facts the facts are out there but people are pretending not to know or pretending they're doing enough mm. but they're really not. Yeah. yeah. There's this weird inaction and like pretending mm. to be inaction. Yeah. Or a choice to ignore. Yeah.
3: yeah. Um,
0: and I think it's pretty clear when we see the responses from the environment if we look at what's happening not only in our mm. own country
5: but globally. Mass pollution... I think there's always time to learn and there's other ways you can learn. I mean, school's not everything. And, um, I don't know, probably tell them to s- they go stuff themselves. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, but, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I guess, obviously, being involved on social media and online is a great way to mm. keep in contact with other people doing things. And I think Melbourne's a great place to be involved in things because there's a lot happening yeah. and I guess I just got to keep my eyes open. It's a not
8: a political it's thing. Not a political it's, thing. Not it's a, political it's not scientific, a fact scientific
5: fact that
9: we are that going that through climate are, change. It's a climate emergency. It is clear we have a climate emergency. Over 11,000 scientists from over 150 countries agree and they've supported our recent publication in bioscience.
5: Droughts are pushing farmers to the brink. Animals are disappearing because water is running out. Extreme heat is putting the most vulnerable in our communities at a huge risk. Half of the Great Barrier Reef has been devastated due to climate change heating up our oceans. But that's just today. What about tomorrow? This is predicted to get a lot worse if we don't act now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard because there are so many different um, people trying to, like, get action on it, and it's really hard for you as an individual to do it, but I guess supporting causes like this um, and being out here, supporting all the kids who are so passionate about it because, yeah, in the end it's our future and... I think as well, like, there's a lot of great things nowadays that you can easily get on top of, like, you know, changing your electricity. I use PowerShop now, which sources a lot of their... uh, I think all 100% of their energy from renewable sources. So just even things like... Yeah, yeah, even things like that, Mm. you know, and making sure you, you know, buy a reusable coffee cup and, you know, just little things like that, you know, Mm. try and do. definitely helps, yeah. yeah.
6: In late October... Greta Thunberg refused a monetary award in Stockholm, held by a regional body for interparliamentary cooperation. Greta said the climate change movement doesn't need more awards. What we need is for our politicians and the people in power to start listening to the current, best available science. While thanking the Nordic Council for the huge honour, she also criticised Nordic countries for not living up to their great reputation on climate change. It's time to declare, as school strikers, that we won't be sidetracked by the climate change denialist lobby. That lobby distracts from the real issues. Listeners, I believe that Morrison Australian government wants climate change protesters to get a bad reputation. The mainstream press also slurs protesters as people who are of a bad nature. The irony is that the protesters are of good nature because we innately care about protecting nature. Our goal as school strikers is to try and decrease global warming and to protest on behalf of all the living creatures on this planet. We are protesting as youth who are asking our leaders one main question. Will you start facing the questions around science-based evidence? That is the question we make to our leaders. If our leaders don't want to answer with real words and they're deliberately not doing what they are appointed to as leaders, In fact, our leaders are battling on the side of the forces that don't care if the planet heals, as long as they can keep sucking money out of its natural resources in the meantime. Again, don't forget to keep visiting your School Strike campaign page. Thanks for listening to School's Out, and thanks to 3CR's Solidary After Breakfast program for giving us a chance to be heard. We'll be back in two weeks for another episode of School's Out. Hi, I'm Michelle Briere, Monty Dubonais, Ojibwe from Canada.
0: And I am Shakti Hayes from the Cree Nation, Canada.
6: And you're listening to 3CR
0: Community Radio.
6: And we love and support community radio. Why?
0: Because it
2: speaks the truth. That's right. And uh, we're just about to talk to Anthony Amis. How are you, Anthony? How are you this morning?
3: Yeah, not too bad.
2: And you're from the Rainforest Action Group, aren't you?
3: Uh
2: yeah, yeah, I do a bit of work with Fo too. Oh cool. Now, the reason why we want to have a chat with you is because we're going to focus on BHP. Now, BHP, I noticed has just had its uh, AGM in Sydney and you were in fact there. And the publicity out out of it in the mainstream media is that the incoming chief executive of the nation's biggest miner, BHP, Mr. Henry is going to maintain his focus on climate change and emissions reduction. Uh, which uh, seems a bit strange, considering that the uh, group uh, didn't decide to disassociate itself to, with industry groups like the Mineral Council of Australia and the Business Council of Australia, that are business as usual models. Can you talk to us about what actually happened at this meeting?
3: Yeah, well, that was a sort of a resolution put to the um, put to the shareholders that um, BHP disassociate itself from. From the you know groups like like the Minerals Council and the uh, the shareholders voted that no uh, they wouldn't do that so I think thirty percent voted yes that they should and seventy percent voted no so because of that vote the uh, yeah uh, BHPs decided to stay in those associations so yeah, a couple of us went up from Melbourne to the to the AGM um, and there was a couple of um, speakers that uh, came in representing uh, community groups from Chile and um, there was a, a guy, Dave Sweeney, he was there from behalf of the ACF talking about Roxby's uranium uh, mine In uh, sorry, BHP's uranium mine at Roxby in South Australia um, and yeah, generally it was a pretty conservative bunch as you can imagine um, and BHP gave a fair bit of, of lip service or public relations to the fact that they worry about climate change and all these issues, and I remember going to BPAGM about 20 years ago, and I raised the issue of climate change. I was, I was basically given a very sh- short shrift by the by the chairman at the time. So it's a bit ironical now that that the company's claiming that they concern themselves with um, with climate change when they, you know, they've got um, active interest in in over a dozen coal mines in Australia. Um, not only that, they've got um, uh, they've just done a 100-year hundred, a hundred um, agreement with the uh, Western Australian Government to mine iron ore and what listeners might know about iron ore is it's mainly sent to Asia and then it's converted into steel by the burning of coal. So um, these are very uh, greenhouse-intensive um, industries and um, you know, for BHP to say that it's worrying about climate change and the future of the planet, well, it's a, it's a little bit t- t- too late for that.
2: Well, there's a couple of issues here now. Before we go on to the main issue, which is their greenwashing, which is a really important thing to discuss in relation to the forward politics of uh, Australia and any country that is in the grips of uh, these multinationals. Uh, is uh, their past record in places like South America, for example, it's pretty uh, grim stuff. When you uh, start looking at uh, the way they've operated in Chile, and then they've moved on to other places like Ecuador, uh, and they followed, they went through Colombia on their way.
3: Well, you know, and then you've got the massive uh, uh, headache for them, which was uh, which was the uh, the dam collapse in Brazil. Yeah. where nineteen where nineteen people died, and there was uh, six hundred and seventy kilometres of, of river destroyed. So, the, so, uh, so the CEO at the AGM basically, more or less, said he was he was proud of BHP's role in remediating that 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 absolute disaster. So there was uh, about a quarter of a million people relied on that river for drinking water, um, and. Um, I, it's going to take you know centuries for the river to recover. So to actually come out with with such glib statements as um, you know they've done a good job in controlling the crisis. So I'd,
2: I'd so tell I'd, it to the dead people.
3: Yeah, well that's right. And um, so that's Brazil, and then in in Chile they've got um they've got a, uh, a, a couple of copper mines. So uh, they've been mining copper in Chile since about the seventies or early eighties and you know a lot of the revenues of uh from, uh from copper mining in chile went directly to the to the Chilean military mm. um and so you know a lot of these profits were there to um um to shore up sort of uh sort of military and sort of uh and 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 social c- control assets in 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 chile uh colombia there was a a representative of uh, one of the Colombian groups there so BHP, um, they've been involved with a massive coal mine in the north of the country, called Serijon, and um, there were some questions from the floor at the AGM raised about its role in Serijon. And the chair basically said, "I, oh, oh, we're only shareholders of that of that particular mine, so it's not really an, a, a, a management issue for us because we're only shareholders. Well, you know, they're they're a quarter owners of this of, of this mine and." Um, I think over the last year or two, there's been 30 uh, local people assassinated oh. um, that have been resisting the mine, because as the mine continually expands, it's moving into areas where people live,
5: yeah.
3: and the people are, are resisting. And then there's paramilitary groups that are going around assassinating anyone who speaks out against the Cerrejón mine. Um, and Colombia, there was another issue in Colombia with BHP, there was a... A nickel mine called uh, Ceramatosa, and um, not Mixamatosa. No, but but the <laughs> but community there, but this, the community there was suffering all sorts of health problems, uh, you know, because of the nickel. Yeah. And um, so, what BHP did a couple of years ago was um, instead of, um, you know, facing up to the responsibility of, of them taking decades of, of profits for, uh, from this community from this mine. Instead, what they did is they created a, a, a new company called South 32 and all what they called underperforming assets were then uh, flogged off to this this new company and BHP washed its hands entirely of its past there and um, all the owners now and the responsibility of that mine is with South 32, not BHP. So, so they divest themselves from interests when it's you know, when when they can, and that sort of absolves them from from any sort of responsibility into the future. So it's, it's a really... Uh, it's almost a delusional uh, mindset that these corporations have. Um, and, you know, the poor people left behind, um, instead of dealing with BHP and trying to get recompense, they've got to deal with an entirely new company who will then claim, well, it's not their responsibility either because they weren't around when the problem started.
2: Well, really um, th- this business about uh moving on so it's, it talks about uh, BHP P moving to Ecuador as the Ecuadorian government decides that uh they need to deal with their massive uh debt uh to China and then mining companies come you know get, go get a, fall all over themselves to basically eat up and I mean it's not like Ecuador is a very big country of course
3: no, well well ecuador has got a problem in that um you yeah, know they were relying on on oil revenue um and they've incurred a massive debt mainly to china and so uh to get themselves out of the debt the um the imf international monetary fund uh, sort of granted the uh, ecuadorian government uh, a, a massive loan earlier in the year, but that loan hinged on uh, reducing fuel subsidies, which a lot of the poor people in Ecuador were, were relying on for their survival. And of course, when the uh, government announced this, uh, the whole country went into revolution, essentially. Um, it was led mainly by Indigenous tribes uh, and Indigenous groups in Ecuador. And the other underlying... A- a- um, problem with, with the recent uprisings, uprising and troubles in Ecuador was that a lot of the indigenous groups were really upset that the Ecuadorian government had granted a third of the, of the country over to uh, mining company concessions. And mm. so BHP um, have concessions uh, in the north of the country in a place called the Intag Valley. Yep. And they've also in the headwaters of the Amazon River in the, in the southeast. And they've also, and I raised the issue. They've also got interest in an Australian exploration company called Solgold. So what we were raising was we we don't want a situation where you know BHP has been plundering the assets of, of, of Chile for 30 years, but in Chile the, um, the um, BHP has been operating in 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 desert areas. In Ecuador, it's a completely different kettle of fish. It's the most biodiverse planet. Uh, sorry, the most biodiverse country on the planet. So, and already BHP expo- exploration in um, in Ecuador has already upset a, a river system in the north where they well they've just discovered new species and put those those species at risk. Uh, they were amphibian uh, frogs. So already the uh, you know the BHP fingerprint is. is um, is uh you know being pressed into the in, into the temple so to speak of, of Ecuador we've got uh, indigenous groups there really worried in the last couple of days um BHP's been doing surveys by heli- by military helicopter of areas in the Amazon and these communities are up in arms saying what's going on there um they're in our backyard taking these uh these uh Photos. geological surveys it would and, and, and geological surveys, surveys of of of, oh of what's actually of what's actually there so yeah ecuador is is the next is is the next country that's
2: next up cab for off the rank yeah yeah yeah
3: but
2: i was mm, going to say that um pr organized lies uh, as some as it's been described uh, it's it's almost insulting now to read this happy faced man talking about how BHP is in conflict with the right wing Australian government over the need to consider climate change outcomes and have a a resources tax. In, 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 it's shadow boxing, isn't it? It's a pretence.
3: Ah, uh, well, you know, it's like the old Kev uh, Kev Carmody album, images and illusions. I mean, the um. The reality of what's actually happening isn't—it's not happening, sort of in in reality, if that makes sense. There's this yeah. um, a, a charade and a—it's um, almost like a, uh, a cheap magician's trick. And what the, and how they do that now is through public relations firms and and glossy magazines and and all, all these public relations strategies, which. Um, Sort of like to dress up the fact that these companies are doing a wonderful thing, but you know, in reality, um, they're not doing a great thing at all. And on a, on another level, with these companies too, as as I sort of alluded to before, um, the you might get a a CEO of the company who might be have some little pangs about climate change in the future, but he's inherited the mess that previous CEOs and the companies that have um, have created. So in some ways, he's inherited all the baggage of climate change and all the coal mines and the iron ore and all the rest of it. Um, so how do you actually resolve that? You know, if you're in a, if you're in a, if you're the head of one of these companies, it's a bit like the Australian government. I mean, you you get the a new a new government in place in the country, but they inherit all the past mistakes of, of a litany of leaders of the past. So how do you? fix that it's a bit like putting a band-aid on a on a gaping wound
2: but also it's the, the thing about it is is that uh it leads you to understand that uh, what uh, more sympathy towards the notion that you don't just need uh a, a climate change you need system change because yeah, but that's, yeah.
3: that's right and but, you know this whole this whole corrupt system has, has allowed these companies to flourish and um but I think the other problem is if if you if you're operating if you if you're operating within the confines of what we call the democratic system, but it's been the democratic system that's caused these problems anyway. How are you going to get a solution? So you've almost got to step outside that system and 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 look at ways to get solutions to these problems that um, aren't embroiled in the in the systems that have actually created these these problems. So it is it's massive revolutionary change of thought and thinking uh, beyond the confines of these narrow uh, democratic uh, systems which basically operate on the fact that it's...
2: I, I, don't, know. I don't know. I don't think that uh, democratic systems are the reason for why... I think democratic systems are created as a a, um, window dressing uh, and there have been certain rights that have slowly but surely been accumulated, but have to be fought fought for. But what you're saying is that whenever somebody, a powerful person or moneyed interest wants something, all those democratic notions get thrown out the window. You know, they don't Um, count. They don't count.
3: Yeah. Yeah, partly, but 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 also, you know, the democratic system itself survives on sacrifice. So it it it, it survives on the sacrifice of indigenous countries. Yep. So and the spoils of that sacrifice are then spread out throughout the society. So that, that that's the main point I I was trying to get at. So. Um, in terms of like of bhp for instance when they yeah. started operating at in broken hill back yeah. in the 1890s well the indigenous owners of that land were effectively sacrificed you know their rights uh, to um, to their own country were sacrificed for the um, for, for the nation state or the democratic state
2: yeah yeah and but 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 also i'll have to say that um, that they're continually being sacrificed and i and i was getting getting To the point that part of this PR campaign, which has been going on for a very long time for this uh, capitalist system, is that they are completely essential to, uh, or we're all going to go down the drain. You know, you know, they're they're absolutely essential. Yeah, sure. Like you said, you've got to sacrifice things in order to be able to get a job. And it's getting to a point now that what they're saying is we can sacrifice the indigenous people could be sacrificed, but now it's the earth that needs to be sacrificed.
0: Yeah,
3: yeah, well, I'd, I'd I'd say that you know. So, so the the solution to climate change and all these problems, and I mean I've always said this, has been indigenous a, a sovereignty over those lands. So yeah. get the indigenous people who are in those countries to actually determine what happens on their land. And that's a key to getting these multinationals off, off our backs and a key to reforming the system that we're actually living in. The power has to go back to the people that have control of, uh, you know, have traditional control over, over those lands. And this is the issue in Ecuador. The indigenous are just saying, well, we don't want these mines in our turf, basically.
2: Yeah, nobody asked places. us. Yeah, nobody asked us.
3: No, that's right. So, the, so the pushback is coming from from the indigenous, but it's always been that way. The indigenous people all around the world have always resisted this, this system that's been imposed on them. So, uh, in Ecuador, at least uh, there's a big chance because in Ecuador the um, the indigenous people uh, have rights under the constitution. And in the last uh, year, there's been four or five tribes in Ecuador have won have won significant legal Cases against multinational companies and the Ecuadorian government. That's part of the reason in our little group, our rainforest action group, is we're supporting what's happening in Ecuador because we see that there's a chance there that the uh, indigenous people can be empowered and push back these multinational forces. I mean, it's going to it's going to be a big effort, but we think that there's enough um, support on the ground there to actually get the push back against companies such as BHP, Soul Gold. I mean, Gina Reinhart and Twiggy Forrester there as well. But, you know, essentially these multinational companies have only got where they are because of the, um, of the destruction of Indigenous lands and the associated genocide of the people of those lands. So that's the mindset that we've got to uh, upturn. And then, if you want to be in a democratic or so live in a democratic system, you've got to take into account. Well, you can't live in a system that's going to sacrifice people, uh, you know, in different areas of the world, so that you, your democracy can can flourish.
2: Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I, I mean, we can have an argument. It's not real democracy. That's my point. I mean, I think yeah. democracy probably has got. What people t- say when they say democracy is, you know, it's like talking about communism. Have you actually seen a communist state, really?
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, anyway. Yeah, anyway, you know, a, I think
2: I'm splitting hairs. A, That's all I'm saying.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I urge li- 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 listeners to have a look at the work of John Trudell, the Native American activist, and he he he, he wrote a song, you know, I so said, you, you sacrifice it from a Native American perspective. You've sacrificed on the altar of democracy.
2: Yeah, 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 I mean, you yeah. Got the,
3: You've, you're see. the home yeah. of the home of the free and the home of the brave in the U.S. Well, hang on. Yeah. How did how did um he, he says uh, how does my uh, well, how,
2: hang on white man? <laughs>
3: uh, well, how, how did my land become your country?
2: Yeah, exactly.
3: So uh, delusional. So these are the. So I don't know. We we've, we've waded off into the, into this topic when we're talking about BHP, but you know BHP and this predator energy that's feeding these these forces of destruction across the planet. That's really what we're up against. So it's, it's it's the predator energy, and I don't care how BHP dress up what they're doing now. And it's they're essentially predators feeding off, um, you know, um, the only planet we've got essentially. Um, so we're trying to undo that in in the best way we can. So unfortunately, me and my uh, companion Liz had to confront the BHP board in Sydney last week. So it was all ver- all very theatrical, they had a big stage up the front and of course the, um, the, the board members are all elevated and you're in an auditorium with about 500 people and to actually ask questions of, of this uh, elite group, you have to uh, stand on a, little, on a little stage in front and speak into a microphone so I asked a few questions and um, of course my microphone was cut after about a minute Wow. And and the, uh, so the chairman, if he doesn't like what you're saying or you're uh, saying something that's getting a bit hot, hot under the collar, they'll pull the mic. So I had the honour of being the first person who had their mic cut off. And then there was a woman who spoke after me. She was speaking about uh, the resolutions about climate change. She, was, she had her mic cut off too. And then there was another speaker which was interesting. He was from... He was representing interests in uh, Western Australia. So, in Port Hedland at the moment, where they export a lot of the iron ore, there's about 600 houses there that are um, mm. basically up, up for sale because the the dust from the um, from the iron ore is blowing over their communities, and people are getting very, very ill. And so, he was um, uh, elaborating on the problems that. VHP aren't controlling the, uh, their dust emissions from these massive iron ore piles, and he, he got the um, he got the mic pulled on him too. But I had to talk to this guy after the uh, AGM. I mentioned to him, well, in Chile, there's another pro- there's a problem in a little town called oh, uh, it's a city actually, uh, Antofagasta, which has um, got exactly the same problems. All the ore is stored at the ports at the copper mines uh, from the copper mines in Chile, and the um, the, the toxic dust is blowing in off these massive uh, ore piles at the, at the at the docks and in covering the town with all sorts of heavy metals. Hmm. Oh. And so there's, there's been a big problem with uh, health issues in Anapagasta. There's uh, arsenic. There's all sorts of heavy metals that people are... Uh, it's blowing into their uh, drinking water. It's blowing into their houses. Um, so a lot of these export and I was thinking there, well, a lot of these export places where these this ore was export wouldn't only be in Port Hedland and Anafagasta in Chile. It must be around the world where these big ore deposits are being stored for export. So, anyway, this guy had his mic cut as well. So um, uh, he, he was he was quite, um, quite vocal and very articulate. And, um, yeah, so BHP pulled the pin on him too. So that, that, I can see these issues in the future... Um, emerging so another thing that came out of the AGM was the Marco mine I mentioned that earlier with the collapse of the tailings dam well they've just got that uh, operational again
2: oh my god
3: yeah. yeah they've got the the mine started up again so um they uh, they um,
2: must uh, they must brain erase their memories you know
3: well, so appara- yeah
2: <laughs> well appa- <laughs> apparently,
3: then, apparently they're not um they're not using uh, the tailings at all they've they've got a separate uh system now apparently for how they deal with the mine waste but in, in that Brazilian situation after the mine collapsed um a lot of the the miners that lived in those towns in Brazil were basically had had no jobs, so there was a lot of pressure from those communities to to get the mine restarted so that they could employ people again so well, this is according to b h p so they've started the mine again and um um, they'll be all produced there, pr- pretty much now. I think. Um,
2: but you're a bit dubious. Uh,
3: yeah. So
2: <laughs> you weren't there, so you can't, you, you, you can't prove anything they say is true because uh, <laughs> no, that's <no, so,
3: laughs> right. So, so we're wading into, into very murky waters with BHP, and um, you know, only in a, a month ago we had about three or four hundred people standing outside the BHP AG, uh not AGM, but there their uh, offices in Collins street and uh, just before the i mark event um, the police bashing.
2: So, yeah yeah
3: the yeah, yeah, the yeah, the yeah, the cop uh, the um, uh, the capsicum spray um, festival yeah festival yeah you could call it that so um, that didn't. That wasn't raised at the AGM. But you know, uh, if you're dealing with these these companies. Like, that eye thing was like getting a, going to the dentist and getting an electric drill into a raw <laughs> nerve. Uh, so that, that and the impact of the state forces was bang. You know, it was like if you had a raw nerve there, guys. Is is the response <laughs>
2: exactly? That's, That's exactly that, right. But, no, nothing to see but, here. Nothing to see.
3: Here. <laughs> No, so, so so BHP and like yeah. So we've got our little group that's trying to, like I said, sort of support the groups that have the power to push back in in Ecuador and um you know and and in Chile at the moment you know there's 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 a big revolution underway there and um you know one of the underlying factors in Chile is this whole mining. Uh, I mean, Chile was the first place where where neoliberalism was foisted on. On a on a nation state, I, I never realised that till a couple of months ago. But and they needed a, mili- a military so, dictatorship. Yeah, I was going to say
2: everything goes hand in hand: military, uh, neoliberalism, military uh, dictatorship, and multinationals tearing the guts out of the earth. We'll have to finish, yeah. the, finish that here, Anthony. Thanks for no, giving worries. us an yeah, update. It was,
3: a, it was an interesting way to start the Saturday.
2: <laughs> Thanks, mate.
3: Okay. No worries. A weak solidarity,
4: bricky team. Listener, when just as we thought we could scrape former hayseed and sheepshit party supremo Barnacle into the rubbish bin of history, he pops his detritus-covered head out of the bin to declare that the catastrophic bushfires are 100 per cent down to the Greens, showing the influence that could be had by a handful of people on the cross benches, making Barnacle very cross. While as Big Supremo scuttled them more sun was empathising in front of the cameras with fire victims showing his warm dear baby jesus love thy neighbor self some ingrate victim dared ask what he was doing about climate change if there is such a thing implying there might be some connection forcing the state big supremo gladys bury your head in the sandy and to intervene sensibly today is not the day to discuss that putting the ingrate into his place Leaving us to ponder just what day is the day. And the current hayseed and cheap-shit Supremo Michael McCole-Maniac hit the jackpot developing Barnacle's insightful analysis, blaming the disaster on inner city raving lunatics and not on non-inner city raving lunatics like, well, like Michael and Barnacle. Although I don't think he included Scuttle Them as an inner city raving lunatic. And we certainly could never label Pollution Resources Minister Matt Canavan of Coal a raving lunatic, as in the middle of all this, Matt says what this country needs urgently is more coal-fired power stations, with the government of market forces on the great level playing field of world's best practice footing the bill if, for some silly reason, like there's no profit in a dying industry, the great practitioners of market forces don't share Matt's enthusiasm. If we do not keep coal-fired power going, we will lose our ability to make many things that we should otherwise be doing. (sighs) Telling point, that he's doing things like. like Catastrophic fire, catastrophic drought, catastrophic flooding, rising sea levels, climate refugees, flora and fauna extinction and other social necessities. Thus scuttle them, accompanying the victims is akin to a mass murder accompanying a dying victim and declaring, today is not the day to discuss why I killed you. On such matters, the big Aussie... We're also proud BHP, for bloody huge profits, bloody huge polluter, boasted about its commitment to the environment, to addressing climate change, if there is such a thing, at its AGM last week, and same week announced it would increase its spending on more frying the planet reduction, I hear. Well, no, no. Increased spending on oil and gas production. Oil will remain attractive for decades, while advantaged gas assets will offer robust returns throughout the commodity cycle. Robust returns and surely they'll then be able to spend more on their commitment to addressing the environment and the flying kangaroo, which used to be owned by the inefficient bloated hand of the public sector, announced proudly it would reduce its carbon emissions to zero by as soon as 2050. mystically assuming there'll still be a livable planet, by offsets, which is all very well, but what will, be that, what will that stuff be coming out of all those, those exhausts? Still, it just goes to show that, like everything else, the market will solve the problem. We never thought we'd have to criticise Barnacle's warm ally, but also rival in the giant mine stakes, the minister for keeping us secure and overseeing concentration camps, raise a wire and sink the boats, Constable Peter Duffer, but shame, Constable Duffer, shame. How did you let that seditious writer Baraz Bushani escape? Not only an illegal, no-proper-papers, queue-jumping boat person, but now an escapee. So ungrateful for True Blue warm hospitality, providing him with a new life on Manus Island and Port Moresby, that he wrote a bloody book, kicking True Blue in the face, kicking us in the face. And now, with the collaboration of an accomplice, the long-haired commie soft-on-illegal-no-proper-papers New Zealand, he's turned up at some literary do and says he won't go back to prison. Shame, Constable Duffer, shame. How Could you let this happen? You're supposed to keep us secure. Launch extradition proceedings immediately and let's hope their courts don't protect the SKP like the Zion courts protect alleged pedophiles. Speaking of out-of-control criminality, this smashed the evil unions and evil union members bill, whose fortunes hang on one notion so that appalling Hoonson and her mob, and Jackie Lumpen, who said the entire True Blue Aussie workforce must suffer unless one evil union official resigned, showing her in-depth comprehension, but do a deal and sell them out, and after all, she is an ex train killer. But then she changed her mind, or whatever she uses to think with, and decided she she had to find another reason to smash the unions and make the entire True Blue Aussie workforce suffer. So with that lot, the evil unions and evil union memberships are about to get their just desserts for making life difficult for good-caring employers who so care about them. And to show how evil the evil unions are, they suggested ludicrously that good-caring employers who inadvertently underpay their workers by, say, a few million dollars are not closed down and put out of business as the smash the unions bill will do to evil unions. As if there's some connection or or logic to that argument. Class warfare, class envy, that ongoing knife in the caring employer's hearts that evil unions and evil workers won't accept that there is no such thing as class struggle in this country. We're all equal and oh how it hurts the sensitivities of caring employers that those they so care about and exist only to provide jobs for, thank them by continually accusing them of that which doesn't exist. And thankfully, the Nick xenophony Senator Rex Union's Pat Prick and his mate have agreed to smash the unions, but with a few smash-the-union amendments, and Rex, Rex uh, Union said he had discussed the amendments with unions. Wonder which unions agree with the Rex unions that they must be smashed. Must have been the Shopping the Workers Union, because like the Xenophony mob, they're all reason. The Political Awareness of the Week award to this contested on some quiz show I was watching the other night asked who succeeded Lenin in Russia, and she said, Putin. <laughs> Sometimes we've got to worry. A business as usual and a first up in the Northern Territory, yet another terrenuous person killed by the, sorry, the police, showing how effective the Aboriginal deaths in custody recommendations were all those years ago. But the first, well, two firsts, A copper has been charged with murder, and against all precedents, an alleged murderer was granted bail, showing that police who murder people are good, safe, reliable murderers. They said he was granted bail for his own protection and the union and the government said the people must sympathise with the police at this time, arrested for just doing his job. And so perhaps now all those remand prisoners being kept in solitary or whatever in prison for their protection should use this as an example to be granted bail. Although releasing the copper into an angry community just mightn't have been the safest thing other than they also whisked him away from the area altogether two states away, showing how compassionate the police can be to an alleged murderer. Mention how the evil unions were trying to equate the proposed penalties under Smash the Evil Unions bill with the non-penalties for caring employers inadvertently underpaying their workers. Like this week's chapter, Mining Industry Work Hire Company Skilled Workforce Solutions, accused of underpaying workers by a mere $45 or so, showing how difficult it must be to comprehend the relevant awards. Just so complicated, but also... Just one more. It's now So Passé. There's almost one a day. So much inadvertency. Caring employers objecting quite properly to this epidemic being described as wage theft and little questions like how come half the inadvertent aren't overpaying workers given under and over should be equal and not 100% to 0% but now there's an equal if not greater threat. This state socialist industrial manslaughter legislation which could send caring employers to jail and impose huge fines, almost as severe as the fines evil unions rightly suffer for raising matters like uh, well, like health and safety, or illegally entering a workplace just because workers are, are a bit concerned over safety. And the usual suspect chambers of profits are distraught at the possibility that good caring employers could suffer for no fault of their own. As the master builders' prophet screamed, they care deeply for their workers, but Why should an employer be prosecuted when the legislation placed too much responsibility for safety on caring employers and not on workers? Good point. Look, surely the legislation should be aimed at evil unions, charge them for not doing their job, and and remove a pathetic defence like it's not legal for them to enter a workplace. Oh, and the master builders were also upset that they had discussed the legislation with the government and their proposals had been ignored. Uh, and what did you propose? That the legislation be scrapped. This is a government that does not listen. Despite all that, I wouldn't be holding my breath waiting to see the first caring employer taken to the cells for killing a worker he, she, it so cares about. Finally, I feel terrible. Huge apology to supermarket giant Kills Value. Last week I said its generous offer of quality European wine glasses, quote, worked out at $900 to $1,000 a glass, and it would be $900 to $1,000 cheaper to just buy the bloody glass and healthier. Well... I misread the fine print. It wasn't $30 for one credit. It was $20. So the real cost per glass is only about $700. A real giveaway. But notice the ad for that offer seems to have disappeared. Maybe the punters are heap smarter than Kills Value takes them for. Good morning.
1: 3CR and back on Solidarity Breakfast, and this morning we're joined by Darren Sullivan from the New South Wales Fire Brigade Employees Union. Welcome to the program under obviously difficult circumstances for yourself, your members and the people around Sydney today.
9: G'day, Marcus. Yeah, good, mate. Uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been a busy busy few weeks for everyone involved. Uh, and uh, yeah, a lot of the comrades are still going pretty hard up there at the moment, so a lot going on.
1: And as you said in an article that you wrote, inaction by the government has uh, made the life of firefighters difficult and the people in New South Wales.
9: Yeah, look, it is. Um, you know, there's been uh, some firefighters, certainly some former chiefs speaking out in the last few weeks, and, uh, yeah, we're trying to get some, some sort of action from government on this and trying to get them to listen a bit more to, to the need for action on climate change and, you know, to help us sort of do our jobs better and stop making it worse.
2: Uh, what, what, are, what are the things that uh, you particularly see on the ground that uh, is, uh, can't, can't be fixed without their uh, backing?
9: Yeah, look, the problem we've got at the moment is, that, well, it's, it's several-fold. We've got fires happening, you know, more often during the year, so traditionally the fires would, would happen sort of between sort of October, November, and into sort of March around there. Uh, we're seeing the fire services now, or the fire... Um, the fires themselves and the emergencies happening, you know, earlier in the year and happening longer through the next year. So they're, they're virtually, you know, becoming year-round. So it's um, making, you know, the, the the summers themselves, right in the middle of summer, seems hotter, the fires seem more intense, uh, and it's making it more difficult for us to do those prescribed burns and the hazard reductions in the off-season. So, um, you know, that's increased fuel loads, and that, again, adds to the intensity of these fires and the, and the things that we are facing on the ground. So... Um, yeah, look, you know, one degree extra, you know, warming um, doesn't seem like much, um, but our impact on that climate change is, 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 you know, making a big difference on the ground and, and you know, right across the world we're, we're seeing our fires and emergencies and, and, uh, and climates changing in line with what the credible science is telling us.
1: And the climate crisis can be further highlighted by the situation through the week on one of the days when uh, not a single drop of rain fell anywhere in Australia.
9: Yeah, that's right. You know, that's, that's a new record, you know, and, and every week there seems to be new records being broken. And uh, You know,
5: mm-hmm.
9: the firefighters that are speaking out at the moment, um, many of them have been in the job you know, as long as me, 30 years, some longer. Uh, and same with the fire chiefs that are speaking out. You know, we, we're not silly. We know there's been, you know, catastrophic fires before. We know that there's been bad fires over decades and decades. But what we're saying is that they're happening more often. The ones that we're getting are worse. Uh, and, and again, this, this is in line with the credible science that we're, that we're, you know, hearing on this, and we're trying to back up, you know, credible science to, to government to say, you know, stop listening to the wrong people, start listening to the people you need to listen to, and take some action.
1: And both sides of parliament, they continue to deny climate changes, as you say, and climate change and the link to the bushfires.
9: Uh, yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing some denial there, and, and seeing a situation in politics where people don't want to upset other people and. And it ends up with politics that's frozen and, and, and do nothing. And we need politicians on all sides to stand for something. We need politicians on, on all sides to be able to speak up and make change and lead and, and, and not be scared to offend people uh, and, and do their jobs. And, you know, it's... It's, 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 <laughs> shall say, it's not rocket science, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's, the information's out there. It's credible. They need to start listening and need to start, to start taking action you know, from a government level, and from an economy level.
2: Uh, the, on a practical level, uh, you, you're, you're <laughs> representing your members. Uh, are Is the equipment that they've got to deal with the fires, uh, is it is this up to scratch? Because I know at certain points there's been uh, problems <laughs> with uh, uh, the money that is required to be able to actually set up a criti- credible credible uh, defence against the fires?
9: Yeah, and look, first, I uh, do you need know, to be clear, I'm not an official of the union. Uh, no, OK. I'm a, a rank and file member, so I do want to be respectful to the current officials of, of my union and other unions. But but as a rank and file member and, and certainly as a, as a serving firefighter, um, I would absolutely back up what my union and my officials are saying at the moment. They are saying the same things that we were saying when I was an official, that, that the cuts that are happening to service, uh, fire services uh, right across the country, um, especially in New South Wales, um, and that is making our job harder. Um, we, need to be, we need to be improving resources and firefighting services right across the country, including New South Wales, uh, and we're seeing the opposite to that, and it doesn't make sense. You can't not take action on climate change. You can't, you can't as a government, you know, make um, you know, life harder and more dangerous and then at the same time you know, reduce the needs of services. Um, you can't have it both ways. Uh, the damage that's already been done from an action already requires an upgrade in emergency services so they need to take responsibility for the damage that's already been done uh, and stop stop ripping into fire services and emergency services and give us the resources we need to do that so i would I would um, you know recommend you know, everyone listening to to have a look at some of the union websites for emergency services uh, New South Wales SBU in particular um, put some great stuff out this week around the cuts that have occurred to, um, in our fire services in New South Wales and both fire services for that matter. Um, so the SB website is putting out some really good information on um, statistics, the, the facts, what's actually happened uh, and what people can do to help.
0: And while well, the
1: state burns, uh, homes lost, lives burned, lost the firefighters working in dangerous conditions and the so-called elected leaders in the Houses of Parliament see fit to throw personal insults around what should be a time of unity not a time of uh, division.
9: Yeah, no, that's exactly right. It's the same partisan stuff you see all the time, isn't it? Uh, <clears throat> you know, it is a time. I saw one of the fire chiefs this week make the point. It is time for, you know, all sides of politics to, 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 to put down, um, you know, the usual partisan style of politics, put it away, uh, pull together uh, and, and, and and you know, start to make changes and, and, and find the solutions. And firefighter's not even... Out there saying that we you know what the solutions are. All they're saying is, you know, these people are elected to listen to list credible science. Um, there is, there is uh, lots of lots of um, uh, uh, solutions and, and, and stuff around to be able to take action on this stuff. And, and our politicians, the elected voting system, they, they get off your arse to do it. It's not that hard. Uh, and again, but the politics is, is not helpful at all. It's making things worse.
1: All right. Thanks, uh, Darren, for joining us this morning.
9: No worries at all. Love the program. Thanks, guys.
3: Outer Urban Projects and La Mama present The Audition, a multi-authored work interrogating the protocols and power relationships of the audition process to uncover what it means to seek asylum. Director Irini Vela has assembled an exceptional team of award-winning writers, including Christos Tsiolkas, Melissa Reeves... Patricia Cornelius, Tess Lisiotis and Wahibi Musa with
7: Iranian associate artists Sarah Davoudi and Milad Norouzi, performing alongside Mary Sitarinos, Peter Paltos and musician Vahidi Essary. The audition, 13th to the 24th of November bookings at
3: lamama.com.au Outer Urban Projects, a 3CR supporter.
6: Hi, I'm Michelle Briere. Mani Dubonais, Ojibwe from Canada.
0: And I am Shakti Hayes from the Cree Nation, Canada.
6: And you're listening to 3CR
0: Community Radio.
6: And we love and support community radio. Why?
0: Because
2: it speaks the truth. And of course we do. And on the line we've got Leah who's from Slut Walk. That is one of the events that's going on today. It starts at 1 outside the State Library. Can you tell our listeners about the reasons behind Slut Walk?
8: Hi, um, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, mommy, um, so Slutwalk Walk started in 2011 when uh, a Canadian woman went to a police station to report a case of rape and the police officer said if she didn't dress like such a slut, then um, she wouldn't have been raped. So after that, um, they, they started slut walk in Canada and then it went around the world and it's been happening now for what's that like nine years yeah and um yeah it's really pushing back against that sort of that rape culture victim blaming and shut blame.
2: yeah it's interesting isn't it because it's reclaiming language so you're a slut yeah you're a slag all these different types of terms uh well, yeah. yeah sorry Go on, um get...
8: no, Sorry. Um, well, it's really interesting as well because the word "slut" literally just means uh, usually a woman who has casual sex, which is not a bad thing. Like having ownership over your body is not a negative thing; it's something that should be celebrated. And yet, our culture ridicules and ridicules us and mocks us. That. So, yeah, it's about changing the way we use the language, like you said, reclamation, but also celebration.
2: And so it's grown over the time that it began. It did when did it? I mean, it started in uh, nine years ago in Canada. But uh, did, did was that a simultaneous thing that around the world different people took up the gauntlet?
8: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first one happened in Melbourne in two thousand and eleven as well. Yeah, and that was I believe started by Karen Pickering and a group of incredible humans who were just like, no, we've had enough. Also, and yeah, um. And keeping and by keeping it on going, I think Melbourne's actually one of the biggest sort of branches of the slot walk movement around the world
2: yeah, it's quite a confronting term i will have to say because it's it's not seen as being uh, polite language, and uh, this is what this is about isn't it it's It's about time we stop being polite about this well.
8: Absolutely. But the only reason why it's not polite, like, and I use inverted commas, is because of the rhetoric that we've used that, that's based in a patriarchal system. Like, it's literally like a rose is a rose. Like, it's, it's just sex. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's nothing to feel bad about. And if someone has has used your body for that purpose, then you have every right to, to chuck For that person to be charged and that person to hold the blame, not not your personal self. Like it's not your responsibility to take onus for someone else's behaviour.
2: Yeah, their violence.
8: Yeah, absolutely.
2: Now um, it's grown, hasn't it? It's not growing. It's not become smaller. It's grown.
8: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh well, in Melbourne especially. Um, I think, like, there's been branches around the world that have sort of dropped off, picked up, dropped off. Mm. But what we're actually seeing since the Me Too movement, I I think, has been a massive catalyst, is that it's, like, slut walks and other kind of organisations like it have sprung up all over the place. Um, And so we're seeing um, Brisbane's slut walk is re-emerging and Adelaide's slut walk's re-emerging. So it's really exciting, and we're going to try and get together next year and have a sort of, like, maybe a 2020 like, march around the country, like, have it all on the same day. That would <laughs> be really awesome.
5: Yeah,
2: that would be really awesome. And why do you reckon it's important?
8: Oh, look, it, it's really hard to sort of just, go, like, pick out, like, one thing. But the thing that is really special about Slut Walk is that it, it started off reactionary, but it's now a proactive movement. And it's empowering and it's about that reclamation of language and of our bodies and of our right to exist as we choose without the risk of violence. And if we're actually going to challenge a patriarchal system and a capitalist system that we live in, I think it's really important to be empowered rather than, like, sort of downtrodden and, you know, a bit bad, a bit traumatised, all that kind of stuff. Um, So events like ButtWalk, which really embrace community and support each other and create a really safe, harmonious environment, it's it's really important um, to bring all those people together, inspire people and... Make them realise what we can actually achieve when we come together, and that's why walk's is really important.
2: And is it is it uh, a variety of age groups, uh, or predominantly youthful? Or and uh, do men come too?
8: Um, men, men do come. Um, <laughs> sometimes they're welcome. <laughs> sometimes they're not. Um, but that's not the yeah, key. Absolutely. Yeah. All everyone is welcome. We just. Um, just no trans exclusionary language, no sex worker exclusionary language, no homophobia, no flat, flat shaming, no slut shaming. All that kind of negative, um, hateful language is just is not welcome, and we won't tolerate it. Um, but other than that, like if you're a, <laughs> if you're just here to as a survivor and you want to share your story and be around other survivors, this is the perfect opportunity to empower yourself and to reduce that shame and stigma. Um, men do come. Um, we do request that they sort of be mindful of taking up space and making sure... I mean, obviously, men are survivors also, so there's sort of it's complicated. Um, but just to be mindful of sometimes the presence of men can be really intimidating for survivors, but at the same time, they're always welcome. We have lots of marshals, and we have a, a team of marshals who are actually trained in mental health response. So if anyone's triggered or becomes overwhelmed like, becomes quite stressed, then they can come and speak to us and we can, we can help them through that. But, yeah, like, yeah, men are definitely welcome, but we just request that they make space for the survivors is all.
2: And the other thing is, uh, can you give us an idea of uh, the actual uh, uh, event layout? You know, like, uh, you're going to be meeting outside the State Library uh, and uh, do you have speakers? Do you uh, do a march?
8: Yeah, so um, just give a moment, and I'll bring up the thing. But we um, so the event starts at State Library at one pm. Mm-hmm. We'll have speakers from from probably like you say one pm, but it's probably going to be about ten past.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
8: Uh, we're hosted by um, Tilda, who's a who's a trans woman. She um is the the, the president of RAFU, which is the we yeah, 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 yeah,
2: Tilda. We yeah. know Tilda. We know oh, Tilda.
8: Yeah. Fucking legend, isn't she? Oh, yeah.
5: Well,
8: so. <laughs> she yeah. is. She is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just cannot enough. Um, Chanel Rogers is speaking. Um, she was one of the people who organised the Honey Burdette campaign. Yep. yep. Yeah, oh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, also a legend. <laughs> 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 Just brilliant people all around. Um, uh, a young woman, Rachel, who's um, Indigenous, Australian, um, or she refers to herself as Corey. Um, she's speaking about sort of calling out sexual assault and you know people who um, sort of ap- apologists for the behaviour and women who call themselves feminists and men who call themselves feminists, those sort of things.
2: It's like, uh, um, what, what did what did you do Ron?
8: Yeah, well, what did only, you what, do? Yeah, <laughs> well, obviously, obviously you were you were drinking.
2: Like, yeah, it's
8: right. know, oh, no, it was, it was nice to me. You know, that kind of conversation. Yeah, 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 oh, he's yeah, never yeah. done anything like that for me. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, I'm just done. Coralie, um, and this is a Greek surname. She's a Cypriot-Australian writer and actor.
2: Mm-hmm. And
8: she's actually going to perform a poem.
2: Ah.
8: I'm going to probably Dim- Dimitriadis, I think. um Dimitri- I'm, I'm terrible human. But, um, yeah, <laughs> she, she's performing this amazing poem called Shush which is, I'm really excited to see it. Like, I've, I've, I've read it and I've, I've seen a bit of it, I've seen a bit of it, but I'm really excited to see her perform it on the, on yeah. the day.
0: Yeah. Um,
8: Marla Burt, who performed at Flutterween as well, she's speaking, oh, they are speaking, sorry, Marla. Um, uh, they're, an, they're a performer and um, an activist. They, they do, like, um, aerobic stuff and just a absolute legend. Yeah. and teachers, who's um, a representative from Dixon Collective is speaking as
2: well. Oh, it's a big, big uh, line-up. Yeah, yeah, and, and then yeah. do you do a walk? You do a march, don't and you? The,
8: yeah, and, then, we're, and then, then we'll have quite a few yells. We've yeah. got some, we've got quite a few microphones and some cool new chants this year. Yeah. Um, and we'll be walking to Federation Square.
2: Oh, good on you. Okay, great. Yeah. So that's a call-out to people to go down to uh, State Library for the slut walk. And thank you very much for talking to us, Leah. No worries. Thanks for having me. No worries. Well, there you go. That's an action-packed program over, Marcus. Yeah,
1: another show done and dusted.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, we'll tell you, what, what, what did we do? We uh, talked to Kath Larkin about uh, an event that's going on at the uh, Trades Hall at uh, 6 on uh, Monday night, and it's uh, about uh, Just Transition being put together by the... Uh, uh ex-union uh, group that uh, are encouraging people in the union movement to be wise about the uh, climate emergency. Uh, this
1: Monday night, of course, 6.30, Trade's All. Yeah, There's
2: that's the right. Yep. And uh, is it 6 or 6.30? 6.30. 6.30. It's 6.30, you're right. Uh, and uh, then we followed that up with, uh, uh, oh, we had uh, Out of School, that their next, their fourth edition. We followed it up with uh, a chat with uh, Anthony Amos, who went off to the BHP. Uh, he, he took a bullet for us all and went to the BHP annual general meeting in Sydney last week, and uh, we were able to have a look at the uh, bonding bonding experience of uh, the IMF international uh, uh, corporations and uh, the uh, destruction of indigenous lands, and how. Uh, where uh, the Australian mainstream seems to think it's OK. We then moved on to This Is The Week That Was, followed it with up with...
1: Yeah, we went up to Sydney, spoke to Darren Sullivan from the Fire Brigade Employees Union, obviously a state of emergency up there in New South Wales.
2: Yeah, that's right. And uh, then we uh, went to the... Uh, talked to Leah about the Slut walk, walk, which is on... Starts at 1 outside the State Library. We're going to go out with... Uh, a song by uh, Kev Carmody. We were reminded of him. Um, I couldn't find the one that Anthony Amis was talking about, Uh, but uh, this one's called Pillars of Society, and I've got a suspicion that uh, he might have a twist in the tale. Coming up next is uh, Asia Pacific Currents. Uh, I'm going to go off to the... uh, 12 o'clock memorial at uh, the trades uh, uh, across the road from the eight uh, hour monument, yeah, trade hall for the um, uh, looking at uh, international the global day of action, isn't it? Against trade, yeah, trade union, union repression. Oh, you're good, thank Very, goodness. Very uh,
1: topical in Australia, we're facing some of the most uh, savage uh, blows to the union movement and to workers, union officials.
2: Mm, that's right, and that means you. Bye for now.
7: Oh, the pillars of society cruise down the road each day. They got the economic wherewithal we can't afford to pay. They got them numbered bank accounts. The system assures they win. They exploit the population. We're on the outside looking in. Them pillars of society drive us like a tool. For them, that's cool. Mercedes Benz and Porsches Live Rolls Royce village lives You can tell they affluent effluent From the status symbols that they drive When you're on the doku They'll tell you to your face You're a bludger on their system And a blight in the human race Them pillars of society Drive us like a tool For them that's cool the social pages, they always make the news. At the church on Sunday, they're crowding the front pews. So there's a hierarchy of dominance, with a power at the top. And if you think you found the magic key, you find they change the locks. Simple as a society, drivers like a tool for them that's cool. line i'd like to make decisions but they won't allow the time it says religion is the opium i see the media's the cocaine 24 hours of propaganda drugging my poor brain them pillars of society drive us like a two for them that's the status and dominance on their progeny and their class Sir Your Honor your Grace Your Highness were made to polish and lick their brass But you my friend can be like them if you have their million dollar fee. You've
5: been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne Australia. For more information go to all the ws.3cr.org.au.